if you do have your Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 16. Yeah. Amen. So I'm talking about, we get excited about the word in here. Thank you. We're excited for tonight. Now, I got Decode up here with me for a moment because we want to let you know what the next two weeks is going to look like. We are continuing our I Am the Light series, and we're going to switch for two weeks. We've been talking about anxiety and how to overcome that and how Jesus is the light in the midst of our anxiety. But for the, tonight and next week, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Still a part of our series, but we're doing a callback. Now, raise your hand if you were at The View when we did the series, Use Your Voice. All right, some faithful ones. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, come on. Well, for two weeks, in regards to being the light of the world, a big part of being the light to the world <laughs> involves us literally opening our mouths and sharing our faith with people. That's one of the greatest ways that we share our faith is by telling people with our words about Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you know this or not, college students, but your voice has a lot of power in our culture today. Do you know that? Your voice has a lot of power in our culture today. And tonight I want to challenge you as to who you're using your voice for. You or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're going to look at Acts 16. Next week we're looking at Acts 17. Me and Dakota are very excited to walk through this with you. And I want to ask you to really be open to whatever God has for you. Over these next two weeks, as we continue to see what God could do in the city of Memphis, if we use our voice and back it up with action. Does that sound good with y'all? Sound good. Dakota, I love you. All right. Just as a side note, me and Deco celebrate 10 years of friendship this month. Isn't that incredible? Amen? Amen. You don't care, but that's fine. That's right. Big old shoulders. So Acts chapter 16, look with me if you will. Let me tell you where we are as we pick up in the life of Paul. Now, Paul was an apostle who wrote 13 of the New Testament books. Paul wrote 13 of the New Testament books. Paul had a big influence on the early church, we know that, and he had a big influence on Scripture itself. The Holy Spirit really moved through Paul to write 13 books. He planted at least 14 churches that we know of, 14 churches. And before he got saved, let me remind you, he was a Pharisee that was murdering and killing Christians. And in fact, as a part of Paul's testimony, this verse will come up on the screen, Acts 8.3 speaks to him before his name was changed when he was Saul. It says this, Acts 8.3, Saul, however, was ravaging the church he would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. That's Acts 8, verse 3. Right here it is right here. Ravaging the church. This is who he was before he was living for Jesus, before he gave his life to the Lord. Persecuting them, throwing them in prison. So if you're here tonight and you say, Daniel, I, I don't know if God can really use me. I've got one heck of a testimony. Well, half the New Testament was written by somebody who has one heck of a testimony. Amen? <laughs> as we all do. As each one of us in this room do. Each one of us, for those who are believers, are lost, broken sinners, choosing the world. And because of Jesus Christ, we now have new life. And you know what? If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, this would be an incredible night to give your life to the Lord. That would be Paul's prayer, and that's our prayer for you as well. So Paul has an incredible testimony. Don't tell me God can't use you. That's the last thing you want to try to tell me is that God can't use you. You know my testimony. God can use you. In fact, he's wanting to use you right here, right now. So Paul has a radical conversion and where we're going to pick up is Paul's second missionary journey, his second missionary journey. So look with me, and what I want to do is I want to walk through some of Paul's, and we're not going to cover it all tonight. That's why in our life groups on Wednesday nights and next week for part two, we're going to look even deeper. But I want to give you just a little bit, a couple of things about Paul's evangelism strategy that we see when he gets to Philippi. And we're going to talk tonight about how to use our voice for the gospel. So if you will, look with me at chapter 16. We're going to start... In verse 6, chapter 16, starting in verse 
6, it says this. They went through the region of Galatia. They had been, look at this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So two things happen here. The Holy Spirit forbids them to speak a word in Asia, and then the Spirit of Jesus does not allow them to go into Bithynia. Verse 8, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. So he gets his vision. It says this, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's not all that we're going to read tonight. We're going to continue through Acts 16, but right there I want to stop. I want to pray, and let's go to the Lord and ask for him to speak to us tonight. Father, we love you, and Lord, we're so grateful that you allow us to gather like this, to, to worship you, to make much of your name. Father, thank you for Jeff and for Harmony and for everybody leading us in worship tonight. Father, I pray right now just asking that you would have every word, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray for encouragement when it's needed. I pray for conviction where it's needed. Father, I pray for all of us that you would pierce our hearts for the lost, that you, as Pastor Grant told our leaders a moment ago, Lord, that you would give us a hunger for lost souls, a hunger to share Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give us a vision to see who people could be. And Father, help us as we labor, as we work and serve your kingdom. Father, tonight I just pray that you would speak through me. I pray, God, that somebody would give their life to you if they don't know you. I pray tonight would be the night of salvation for someone in here. And Father, we praise you just for the two baptisms we've already seen tonight, God. You are a good God, and we know it's all because of you and your glory. So Lord, speak tonight. We pray that you would remove any uh, distractions or discouragements from this place. Lord, we love you. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Let me give you the first thing. Number one of God are you. Paul was led by the voice of God are you. Before we spend two weeks talking about your voice, let's talk about God's voice for a moment. Because God is a talker. Our pastor, Brother Steve, loves to say it. God is always speaking. God is a big talker. And he's speaking to you. In fact, I love Psalm 18, verse 13. I know that you're still writing. I'll give you a moment. That point was Paul was led by the voice of God. Dash, dash, are you? Don't you love when you do the double dash and it makes just one dash? Isn't that satisfying? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know. When you do dash, dash, and you keep typing and it becomes one line, and you're like, Yes! Okay, it's just me. Fine. <laughs> My goodness. I'm a loser. Psalm 18, verse 13, on the voice of the Lord. I love this verse. It's incredible. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. How many of you know that at creation, God made his voice heard? How many of you know that on the cross, Jesus Christ made his voice heard? And that voice is saying that he died for your sins and he rose from the grave for you because he loves you. God has quite literally in our human history made his voice heard. And what we see in Acts 16 is that God is making his voice heard to Paul in this chapter. And we don't know if it's through visions, impressions through the Holy Spirit, or the inner understanding of God working. What we do know is what we're given is that God is speaking to Paul. The Holy Spirit's leading him. He's having visions from God. They, they take it as, hey, this is God calling us to go here and preach. God is speaking to Paul. He's being led by the Lord. And I love this because God isn't just telling Paul where to go. He's telling Paul where to not go. Did you get that? Like, God doesn't just tell us where to go. He also tells us where to not go. 
He's very faithful. He'll lead you to where you're supposed to go, but he'll also make it very clear as to where your feet are not supposed to go. And some of us in the room know that we're placing ourselves in environments where God is not leading us there. Some of us are placing ourselves in environments where God is not leading us there. And we're wondering why we're falling into a pit. Not every pit is from God. Sometimes those pits are us just leading ourselves where we're not supposed to go. Where we're not supposed to go. Now, here's something that's very fascinating. In these verses here, what's really cool is you see all three persons of the Trinity reference. And this is just something cool, but I want to point it out in another place in Scripture as well. So first in verse 6, look at verse 6 for a moment. Notice what it says here very clearly. It says, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. Then in verse 7, it says clearly the, the Spirit of Jesus, right? So you have the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus. And then when you go all the way down to verse 10, it says this, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love when Scripture gives us glimpses. There it is right there, yeah. I love when Scripture gives us glimpses of the Trinity all working together to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. That the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the greatest team that ever existed in all time, working to bring glory to this earth, to bring the kingdom of heaven down to this earth. You see all three working in just this text alone. Now, do you remember the other text? Just, one, uh, just another one in the Gospels where you very clearly see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all interacting together. Do you remember what moment it was? Yes, Jesus' baptism. An amazing moment, right? Watch this. Jesus' baptism, it says this in Matthew 3, verses 16 to 17. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. Verse 17, and a voice, talk about using your voice, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. (laughs) Probably one of the most epic moments in scripture is Jesus' baptism, the spirit descending like a dove, and the father speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, God is using his voice through the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct Paul. And I want to tell you something very clearly. Do you believe that God is using his voice to guide and direct you today? Because it's the same God that's leading Paul, same God trying to lead you today too. Same God. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow. He doesn't change. He's the same for a thousand of generations. So I believe with my whole heart that when we see God speaking and leading and guiding people in Scripture, that that is how God wants to lead and guide us in our lives today too. The problem is college students often just don't believe God is speaking in their life. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have with college students who say, Daniel, I don't know how to hear the voice of God. And it's, it's kind of cheesy, but I love it. Like, if you want to hear God audibly speak to you, do you remember what to do? We said this a long time ago. If you want to hear God audibly speak to you, read scripture out loud. And you will hear the voice of God. Dozens, dozens of my conversations with college students go just like this. Daniel, I don't know how to hear from God. Daniel, I just wish that God would write it in the sky as to what I'm supposed to major in. And this is what I ask them. I say, well, how often are you in God's word? And a lot of times they're like, I read it when I can. And let's be honest, are we going to give our breadcrumbs of time to God and expect him to just give us every answer that we're supposed to have? We give him what's left over and we ask for him to give us an entree. I want to be honest with you, college students. God is speaking to you. God is speaking audibly. And the primary way he's going to speak to you is through his word. So let me tell you this. A believer that isn't living in God's word is a believer that isn't listening for God's voice. 
You want to hear God speak to you? The number one way is scripture. He speaks through the Holy Spirit every single day. He speaks through people in our life. He speaks through visions. But ultimately, a believer that's not in God's word is a believer that doesn't really desire to hear the voice of God. But Paul hears the voice of God. Paul's being led by the voice of God. And he's living counterculturally as to what that culture said you were supposed to be living by. Now, I want to speak into this for a moment. There's a lot of pressure from Christian culture, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, college Christian culture that we find ourselves in. There's a lot of pressure that your quiet time has to look a certain way. Is there not? Can I just tell you, your quiet time with God may look a little bit different than somebody else's, and that's okay. Right, because there's this, there's this stereotype that uh, pff, sunrise on the patio, freshly brewed coffee, sticky notes, highlighters, all laid out, two hours. Your coffee mug says Philippians 4.13 on it. I could do all things through Christ who strengthened me, right? I'm, I'm not against highlighters at all, I promise. I'm not against sticky notes. But can I just tell you, you do not have to have worship music on for God to speak to you. You do not have to have coffee for God to speak to you. You don't have to have sticky notes for God to speak to you. You don't have to have the perfect setup for God to speak to you. I'll tell you this, all right? I'm not mad at anybody at all. I'll just tell you, God will speak to you even if you don't post it on social media. Don't leave. Dakota, stop them. Some people look back like, for real? Right, but what do we see? We get on Instagram and we see that God speaking to us is this perfectly laid out quiet time. No, God can speak to you through the audio Bible in your car. I'm not saying that all you should do is the audio Bible in your car, but if you wake up late and you're discouraged, like, man, I didn't spend time with God. What should I do? Well, what would God want you to do? Go to him as soon as you can. God does not go to sleep. So I'm telling you, as simple as it is, if you oversleep, don't just chalk up the day like, well, this day's over. No prayer, no Bible read. I'm going to just do it myself. No, on your lunch break, instead of going to meet that friend, sit down and spend time with God. Hear his voice. We don't want to do that, though. Why? Because we would much rather say yes to people than say yes to God. Right? Let's be real in here. The view is a place where we're going to be real and we're going to be honest. And honestly, most of us, if we miss God in the morning, we really aren't disciplined or desirable enough to spend it with him at night. I'm not saying you should only spend time with God at night. What I'm saying is, God is speaking to you all throughout the day. Are you listening? Are you willing to make it a priority to get in his word? One great thing I'll give you to write down is this. Don't idolize the quiet time. Idolize the God who you're supposed to be spending the time with. Idolize the God who you're supposed to be spending the time with. It is not this complicated thing. It's just not. To hear God's voice... You don't need this crazy setup. It's great if you have that. What you need to hear God's voice, are you ready for it scripturally? A prayerful and humble heart and an open Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you, college students, don't overcomplicate it. Don't let culture overcomplicate it. Open up his word with a prayerful and humble heart, and I guarantee you this, he'll start speaking to you about your life. <laughs> like, you'll be shocked. He will speak to you about the things that you are walking through in your life. You're like, Daniel, there's no way. It's outdated. Are you kidding me? You think the Bible's outdated because it's, it's been around for thousands of years? God is still speaking through it. It's his word. It doesn't just contain truth. It is truth. And if it is truth, Gavin, then it'll speak to you every single day from your baptism going forward as to how you're supposed to live as a believer now. Isn't that incredible? 
You'll find yourself in trials. You'll find yourself in storms. And when you go to God's word, guess what? He will speak life into you as to how you can function through that. All we see Paul doing is walking with God. It's called a walk for a reason. It's a relationship, which means he'll speak to you in the morning. He'll speak to you in your car. He'll speak to you at work if you're willing to open up your heart and listen. I could spend all night on this. We got to get to evangelism tonight. But I just want to tell you, spend time with the Lord because he's speaking. And he wants to speak directly into your life and into your issues and in your your problems. Right here, right now. He will speak to you tonight. Here's what's amazing. He will speak to you from his word through me, which is humbling. (laughs) Very, very humbling. And then you, tonight, when you go up to somebody else to go encourage them, he can speak through you if you encourage them in a biblical way. He will use you. And once you begin... To plant yourself in God's word, okay? We've already established it's not about this perfectly set quiet time. It's about being with God. It's about walking with God. Once you're in his word, what you'll start to do, Fernando, is you will find that you begin to sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Now, the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict God's word. So if the Holy Spirit tells you to go jump off a bridge, that wasn't God. (laughs) That was not the Lord. He's not going to contradict his word. But when you're at Home Depot... I said that like there's some dads in here. <laughs> like, this is mid Memphis. Think about when we go to Home Depot, fellas. <laughs> when you're at cookout, let's bring it to this generation, right? Let's bring it down to this generation, right? When you're at a restaurant, your waiter or waitress, when you sense this, tell them about Jesus. Do you think that was the devil? Does the devil want you to tell your waiter or waitress about Jesus? I- do you think that was you? Let's be honest. My flesh, when I'm at a restaurant, I just, want my, I just want my chicken, cheese, and rice. I want my salsa. I want my queso. Like, I just want to get in and out. It's not me. That's what Brother Steve said. So if it's not the devil telling you to share Jesus, if it's not your flesh telling you to share Jesus, where do you think that's coming from? That's the Holy Spirit of God impressing on your heart to do what Jesus would do to share Jesus with people around you. You will begin to innerly, in, in, in your heart, have an inner understanding of God's will in your life, but it can't happen apart from God's word. When you're in his word, though, Ellie, when you really are diving into his word, I can't explain it. It's supernatural for a reason. I will be walking through my day, and I will just have a prompting from the spirit that's biblical that I'm supposed to love somebody with the love of Jesus. I'm supposed to encourage this person. I'm supposed to encourage that person. And here's the thing. I miss a whole lot of opportunities because I'm hard-headed, and I got a big head, and I'm selfish, and I hate to bring it back up, but I'm just in Kroger looking for sugar cookies, not gospel conversations. I haven't mentioned it all semester, Hannah. Haven't mentioned sugar cookies all semester, and they stopped bringing them to me. But I'm back on it. <laughs> but when I go into Kroger, <laughs> there's gospel opportunities everywhere. That's what Paul's doing. Paul is walking with the Lord, and he has an inner understanding of God's word in his life, of God's will in his life, because he's walking with the Lord. And you can have that too. I'll tell you this, Galatians 5 verse 25 says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The imagery that's used here is dancing, right? That when you dance with somebody, of course we're Baptists, so none of us in here dance, right? (laughs) Just kidding, I can dance. My baby seen me dance. That literally with the Holy Spirit, to dance with somebody, that means you have to be in tune. You can't have two left feet. You have to be in tune, have a rhythm. And it's this beautiful thing when you really start getting into dancing with somebody. This idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is like dancing. That means there's a rhythm 
And there's an understanding back and forth as to where you're supposed to go. Let me ask you a hard question. Do you feel like you have that with God in your life? Do you feel like you hear from God in that way? Or is it kind of like a constant pull and tug? Like you, you never really find a rhythm with God. You're never really in step with the Spirit. You're kind of just doing your own thing, and you get to God whenever it's time to get to God. I want to tell you, there's a better way. Jesus quite literally calls the Holy Spirit the helper and the counselor. An incredible verse on it is John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, uh, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So, college students, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart every day. And he's really good at changing your plans, is he not? The Holy Spirit is very good. And what you start to realize is that the way you plan your day might not be the way God would plan his day. That's what I've realized. When I've looked at my days, I'm kind of like, when I look at my Saturdays, I'm kind of like, is this what Jesus would be doing with his time? (laughs) The Holy Spirit's really good at changing your plans, right? Paul, they're like him and his team. They've got Luke. They've got Silas. They've got his team of four with them. They just recruited Timothy, right? Right before this, he recruited Timothy. They try to go to Asia. Nope. Not there. You ever applied for a job and God just been like, nope. Not there. Somebody's had it rough. <laughs> hey, amen, though. They missed out, right? Amen. They missed out. <laughs> uh, that was a strong amen. You ever start to, like, choose a college major, and God's just like, nope. Nope. Thought you are going to do nursing, Dakota. Ha-ha, you're in ministry now. <laughs> God's really good at changing your plans. I went through six or seven different majors, right? They... They try to go here. They try to go there. Nope, the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. And boom, after nope, 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 God says this, Macedonia man vision. You're going here. Preach the gospel here. Whenever God gives you a no, you can trust God's going to follow up with a go. He's going to follow it up with a go. He's going to tell you exactly where. And for some of you, that might be home. It might be home or your family or go home and rest. I don't know what application is for you. He might be telling you, to go. When you're at work or when you're at campus, God is constantly guiding you. I, don't, I, I believe it is similar to how God led Paul, that quite literally you could be on your way to the university center and God laid on your heart, hey, go to the field house. You walk in there. There's somebody there with an open Bible. You have a chance to encourage them. I believe the Holy Spirit scripturally will, will guide us that way. Two people in my life radically impacted me with this in the last 24 hours. Can I tell you, I've had two encounters in the last 24 hours that just, for, to you, it might not be crazy. Like, I understand this as I tell my wife, like, sometimes what happens to us, other people don't get. But just in working on this sermon, two people radically impacted my life because they listened to God's voice. Let me tell you very quick, quick, quickly. This past weekend, we had catalysts up here at the church all weekend long. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, giving their lives to the Lord, getting on fire for Jesus. Me and my team did a senior dinner where we hung out with a lot of incoming freshmen, and it was really incredible. Just a huge, busy weekend. Busy weekend. And I still had a lot of this sermon to finish. And so me and Hannah, I tried to take a nap yesterday after church, and my naps have just not worked out. We come up here to the church because I've got to finish my sermon. So it's Sunday night. I've been going all weekend. I'm tired. I've got to finish this. And I sit down in my chair. And it's the first thing I said to Hannah. I said, Hannah, we need to pray because i got nothing in the tank. <laughs> like, Hannah, we need to pray because I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I'm worn down. I don't know how I'm, how I'm going to write this. We need to pray because I need the Spirit of God for every sermon I really need the Spirit of God right now. I'm just tired. Ten seconds later, phone rings. Has that ever happened to you? Crazy phone call. I look at it. 
It's spam. I put it back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no, I look at the phone. It's Ben Taylor, our missions pastor, one of our life group teachers here. Now, me and Ben talk all the time, but for him to call on a Sunday night at 6 o'clock, it's random. It's a random call. And honestly, I thought he was going to ask me about Bellevue Loves Memphis because <laughs> he's over that. He doesn't. He calls me. This is exactly what he says. Ten seconds after I just said, man, we need to pray, Hannah. This is what he goes. He goes, hey, Daniel. Man, I saw your truck up at the church. Figured you were working on that sermon. I said, yeah, I am. And he said, man, I know you got to be tired after Catalyst. I didn't want anything. I just wanted to call and pray over your sermon. Like a phone call to you, the other person on the other end of that line can completely change their entire night. I said, Ben, I want you to know I'm putting this in my sermon. (laughs) He prayed for me over the phone. I'm telling you, I got off the phone, started writing. Boom, me and Hannah were out of here. Had my sermon ready to go, excited for it. Not all because he prayed for me, but a big reason because the Holy Spirit told him, hey, Daniel's truck's here, call him, pray over him, and it made a big impact on my night. Does God ever do that with you? Does God ever lead and guide you the way we see him leading people in Scripture? Does God ever lay it on your heart, hey, call this person and encourage them? If you're a believer, I know he does. Does he ever tell you, hey, share Jesus with that person or encourage that person? Okay, we established that he speaks to us. Let me ask you a harder question. When God says that, do you listen? Do you listen and push it away, or do you say, yes, God, I'm yours anyway, so I'll do whatever you have me to do? Second one is this, very quickly. Me and Hannah, leaving a friend's house, uh, coming back home, something happens to her car. All I've had lately is car trouble. Can anybody relate? Amen. Amen. Car trouble is terrible. Makes me want to get a horse. <laughs> Just start riding around Memphis. A horse with a nice old sheriff's hat. <laughs> Wouldn't have no more problems. Until it dies. <laughs> and you just get another one. Just kidding. There's some horse lovers in here that are like, oh, that is not how that works. <laughs> they are family. <laughs> they are. They're animals, but they're great. <laughs> car trouble. If you've ever had car trouble, it's infuriating. It's the worst time. We're tired. We want to get home. It's late at night. We have car trouble. Right before we left, the, friend, the family friend's house that we were at gave me a card. Put it in my pocket. Didn't think anything about it. Right before we left their house, gave me a card and an envelope. Put it in my pocket. Car breaks down. We're stuck. We get it to a safe spot. We go home. We walk in the door. Me and Hannah are just defeated. We're mad. We're frustrated. I don't know if you've ever been there. Believe it or not, pastors get frustrated too. <laughs> we get angry. We get, we, like we don't, I'm not perfect. Like I tell you, I was frustrated in this moment. Hannah was frustrated in this moment. We're humans. And in this moment, this is what, this is what we said. This is crazy. We, we said... Man, this is going to cost so-and-so much to fix. God bless you. We said, oh, this is going to cost so-and-so much to fix. This is exactly what I do. I reach in my pocket, and I grab the envelope. I open the envelope. As she finishes that sentence, when I open it, it's the exact amount of money inside it. I'm telling you, it's the exact amount of money inside it that we just said we had to fix that car. Do you think the family friends knew that we were going to have car trouble? Like, they slashed the tire. (laughs) Like, all right, we're going to make them break down, give them the exact amount of money, we're going to be angels. No, I don't think they're that smart or manipulative. This is what I really believe happened. I think they had an impression from the Holy Spirit of God to bless us with a small gift minutes before we broke down and would literally need that gift and we, me and Hannah said, we're going to need so-and-so to fix this. And then God handed it to us. And this is what Hannah said. She said, well, there goes God telling me that I'm not in control anyway, so to let him run with it. 
Does God ever speak to you that way? Does God ever bless you through somebody else and the only explanation is that it had to be him, not them? Now, let me ask you the hard question. Does God ever use you in that way to bless other people or is life just revolving around you all the time? Because I want to tell you, God will use you in the same way they use them to us. God will use you in that way. I'm telling you, it's incredible. When you start walking with God, you'll see incredible things. I need to move on, but God is very good. Now, he's leading, he's guiding Paul, he's steering Paul. And I had one thing I wanted to leave you with. I, I don't know if I put it on the screen or not, but here it is. God doesn't need you to run a mile to make a miracle. Often, he asks for one small step of faith. I'll say it one more time. God doesn't need you to run a mile to make a miracle. Sometimes all he asks for is one small step of faith. Your obedience can change somebody's life. Now let's keep looking here. Let's keep moving through Acts 16. As you're writing, I know you're still continuing to write that down. 16, let's go to verse 11. Verse 12, from there they went to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. So let's take a pause for a moment. Troas to Philippi was a 130-mile journey broken up by two stops. One stop was an island which was known for worshiping a false god. I don't know how you say it. C-A-B-I-R-I, Kabiri, Kabiri. I don't think anybody in this room knows how to say it. It was a false god. It was the god of, watch this, the god of waters, earthquakes, and horses, right? It was a Greek god, a false god. And what's crazy is Paul would encounter a lot of false idols in his missionary journeys. Next week in Athens, we're going to see him in, 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 in Come in contact with a lot of false gods. Bless you. Bless you. Back to back. A lot of false gods. A lot of false idols. Here he is dealing with another one. Verse 14. They go to the place of prayer. They sit down and they find, verse 14, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Let me read that again. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Verse 15, after she and her whole household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So number two, Paul used his voice for the gospel. Do you? Number two, Paul used his voice for the gospel. Do you? So not only number one, God led Paul with his voice. Are you listening? But number two, Paul used his voice of the gospel. Do you? Now, Paul's first stop in Philippi is to find a synagogue. Paul goes where the religious people would be. Essentially, in today's world, the first place Paul would go to share Jesus is the church. Ain't that crazy? The first place Paul would go to share Jesus is the church. Isn't that crazy? How many of you know that just because you're in church doesn't mean you know Jesus Christ? <laughs> All right? I love when I go into Best Buy, because when I go into Best Buy, the workers rush me. <laughs> They're like, hey, you need help? What you need to find? Where you need to go? Because Best Buy workers know just because you're in the right place doesn't mean you actually know where you're going. And just because somebody is in the church, just because they're in the right place, 
Doesn't mean they know where they're going yet in the afterlife. Doesn't mean they know the way of Jesus Christ. So understand this very clearly. He goes to the place of religious people. He goes to find a synagogue. One of the quotes I wrote down, I'll give you is this. I think the reason we have a hard time sharing the love of Jesus to the world is because we don't often share the love of Jesus inside the church. I think it's real hard for us to go love lost people when we really don't love believers. Right? We gossip, we slander, we cause division, like we, we get jealous, we get envious. Like, I hope it's never said of the view that we come in here and not talk to people around us. That we come in here and we only talk to people we're close to. I think the greatest way the church will start sharing the love of Jesus to the world is by sharing the love of Jesus inside the church walls. It's by sharing the love of Jesus inside the church wall. Paul gets it. Just because someone is religious does not mean they have met Jesus relationally. Religion does not equal relationship. By Jewish law, a synagogue could not be started with fewer than 10 male head households to form the congregation. Shows you the little presence that they had there. So in cities where no Jewish synagogue existed, believers would gather under the sky and near water where other Christians could find them. So this is where Paul meets Lydia. He comes in contact with Lydia. He sees that she's a God-fearer. And just remember, arguably, Lydia is one of the most important people in Paul's testimony. He meets Lydia. She appears religious. And he shares the gospel with her. He meets Lydia. She's a God-fearer, which means she's, she's a Gentile. She knows about the God of Israel. She's trying to figure it all out, but she doesn't know Jesus yet. And Paul just tells her the entire gospel. Whatever he says here, the Lord opened her heart. So let me tell you, let me give you two action steps with your voice. Here's the first one. A, use your voice to the religious. Use your voice to the religious. I'm going to break down what, what this means. Use your voice to the religious. Lydia, as a businesswoman and a seller of purple goods, means she was very wealthy. She had it going on, right? She had it going on. She's wealthy. She's an influencer, I imagine. Even though she appears religious, she hears the gospel of Jesus and her heart's open to it, and she's ready to give her life to the Lord. She's ready right now. So here in the South, are you at all aware that we are surrounded by religious people who don't know Jesus Christ? All right, let's talk about this, and let's talk about it openly, okay? Some of you are in this room. I don't want to scare you. I'm not trying to call anybody out. But I want to tell you, for a long time, I knew religion. Like, I knew about God. That didn't mean I had Jesus Christ living in my heart. Right? What's the difference? What's the difference? Here it is. I'm skipping ahead, but I'm going to go ahead and give you these two to you right now. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. Some of the greatest verses. Some of the first verses I memorized said this. It'll be on the screen. For by, you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. In other words, religion is you climbing your way to God. It's you, right, working your way up there. It's you putting yourself together as best as you can, suit and tie, good works, trying to get your way to heaven. The problem with that is you can never do it. But what we quoted a moment ago during the baptism, and we quote 10, 9, but we leave out the verses after it, but Romans, listen to this, Romans 10, 9 to 13 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you hear this every single time I give an invitation, every single time I baptize, baptize you hear this verse. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Look at this, verse 10. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. 
One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Don't raise your hand, but does anybody in here ever struggle with shame? Guilt? Being beaten up over your past? Jesus Christ has not put you to shame. The word convicts. The word will call out sin. God will spank you if he has to, but he is not discouraging you. He is not shaming you. That's the work of the enemy. Verse 12, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. And then verse 13, one of the best verses I memorized when I thought there's no way I'm going to be saved. I'm too lost. I've been living in sin for too long. Verse 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's read this together. You ready? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know who wrote that? Paul. You know what he was thinking about probably when he wrote that? I don't know. I'm not going to guess his thoughts, but shoot, I was a murderer. I hated the church. God saved me. So you know what? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If God can save me, God can save you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're in this room and you have religion, but you don't have relationship, what that means is your heart has not come to a place where you truly understand God's grace yet. You might understand who God, the person of the Bible is. You might have a good theology of of Christianity and what we're supposed to do. But until your heart is truly pierced over your sin and over what happened to Jesus to the point where you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, where you confess that he is Lord, that's when you begin a relationship and you're not putting your faith in religion. You're not going to put your faith in yourself or your works because you can't get yourself there anyway. Jesus came down because you couldn't go up. Jesus came down, died, rose from the grave because without him, you and me have no chance. So if you're in the room and you've grown up with a whole lot of religion, but like me, you don't have Jesus Christ, what's stopping you from giving your life to him tonight? But let's go bigger than that. Every single time I go to campus ministry, you know what I encounter? It's the same thing you encounter. I speak to people who believe they're saved, but they're not. I ask them, I say, hey, do you believe in anything? You know, you got any kind of faith? And this is what they tell me. At U of M, by your university center, this is what they tell me. Yeah, man, I'm a Christian. And this is what I ask. So simple of a question, but if you'll start asking this question, you'll, your conversations with people will go deeper. I ask them this, Tucker. I say, okay, you're a Christian. What does that mean to you? But just tell me what that means to you. Like, I know I seem a little more aggressive right now because I'm preaching, but in a conversational way, I ask, okay, what's that look like for you, right? What's that look like for you? Oh, man, my grandma, pray for me. It's good. Praise the Lord. Doesn't necessarily mean you have a relationship with Jesus because she prays for you. That's good. Tell me a little bit more. What does it look like for you to have a relationship with the God who created you? And some of the things I wrote down, some of the answers were, it means I do more good than bad and maybe I'll get to heaven. You ever heard that? Right? It means, oh, oh, well, you know, I try to do my best. You know, when I came to Bellevue and joined the church, they were like, what would you say to God uh, if he, you know, the question that they always ask, what would you say to God if you were standing at the gates and he wanted to let you into heaven. Why should you get in? I was like, man, well, I'm a good coach. I invest in kids' lives. I help them out. And the guy was looking at me like, man, that's great, but that's not going to get you into heaven. I was like, what gets me into heaven? Faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ covering your sins. Faith in Jesus Christ is what gets you into heaven. A personal relationship with him. 
And so when I tell you to use your voice to the religious, what I'm saying is Paul didn't assume Lydia had a relationship with Jesus just because she appeared religious. When you go to your college campus, don't just assume that somebody has a relationship with Jesus Christ because they claim they're a Christian. Here in the South, there's a real good chance they might not actually know Jesus. And all you have to do to uncover that is not pick apart their entire life. It's just ask them a couple questions. The sad part is all of us when it comes to college just want to put our earbuds in and get in and get out. We want to get to work, make our money, and get out. The last thing we really want to do is ask somebody, hey, what does Christianity mean to you? (laughs) That's tough. You know what will happen, though? If you, some of those people in your life that claim to be Christian, but you're not really sure if they know Jesus, right? First off, make sure you know Jesus. But you know what will happen if you start sharing the gospel with those people who think they might be saved, but they're not sure? You know what will happen? I believe what will happen is two things. You'll either plant a seed, or you'll see them get saved right then and right there. Both are a success. At The View, we celebrate the sharing of the gospel just as much as the saving of the gospel because it's not our chore to save people. We just share. So I really believe that at University of Memphis, at CBU, at Southwest, at your job, at Outback, you literally could talk to somebody who thinks they're Christian, explain God's grace to them, explain Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, explain Romans 2, 9, and see them come to know Jesus right then and right there. And wouldn't that be amazing? Have you ever led somebody to the Lord before? I mean, I don't ask that to like make you feel bad if you haven't. That's the last thing, but you're missing out. I missed out on a long, long time of God using me. You don't have to be a pastor to see people get saved. You just have to be a humble believer that's willing to be used. And you'll see the people in your life get saved. Paul sees Lydia get saved. She comes to faith. The God of the universe opens her heart and she responds because ultimately the gospel demands a response. So quite literally, next time you go to your job, next time you go to your campus, next time you go to your family, and you're talking with somebody about the gospel, and you realize they don't really know Jesus, ask them this, Bree. Say, what is stopping you from giving your life to Jesus right now? And if they say nothing, you know what you say next? Could I lead you in a prayer to give your life to Jesus right here, right now? That's what I say to people. I say, could I lead you in that prayer? And it's, it's no magic words, but like, I would love to lead you in a prayer, and if you mean it in your heart, like you will come to know Jesus. You will be saved. And you can see that happen. God is wanting to use you in that way. And once you start seeing the people in your life get saved because you shared with them or you planted a seed, I'm telling you, you will have a hunger for evangelism. You'll have it. So I don't know who the Lord has laid on your heart right now, but I know here in the South you have people in your life like Lydia that are seeking but aren't there yet. Go tell them about Jesus. If they're in here, go tell them about Jesus. When you leave those doors, call them. Don't wait for tomorrow because I'm not trying to scare you, but none of us know if we have tomorrow. Call them when you walk out that door. I'm telling you, you'll see them. But not only that, I want to keep going as we, as I just have one last thing for you. Look with me at verse 16 of chapter 16. And I've got one last thing for you to nail home. Verse 16, it says this. Once as we were on our way to prayer, this is after Lydia gets saved. Here they go. A slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. So this slave girl is being manipulated to make a profit. She's being manipulated to make money, which is something that happens all the time in our culture. Verse 17, as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. 
She did this for many days. She was hindering their ministry, though. It says, Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Now look at verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So Paul has the full confidence in the name of Jesus to cast out demons. Do you believe that you and I should have the confidence to confront sin in our culture today? We can. And when you do confront sin in your culture, in your life, just know it's going to come at the loss of somebody who's living worldly, right? Like him calling out that sin, they lost their profit. And when you go out to call out sin in your culture, there's going to be people who are affected by that. And you've got to know that you're doing it from a compassionate place for the love of Jesus. But Paul has confidence in his voice, in the name of Jesus, the spirit through him. Verse 20. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the, and the chiefs stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Verse 23. After they had them severely, after they had them severely flogged, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet into stocks. Verse 25. One of the coolest moments in Paul's ministry. Are you ready for this? Watch this. One of the coolest moments. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Can I just point out something to you? Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're praising God. Some of us in our lives, we have everything we need. We have all the food, all the water, all the clothes. I'm not saying you live in a mansion, but some of us are living like a palace lifestyle compared to Paul, and we still complain, and we don't praise God. Isn't that convicting? Like I sat there convicted last night thinking about how they're praising God in prison and how often I'm just completely mad and ticked off about car trouble. And I can't praise the Lord in the middle of that. But look at this. Their praising leads to salvation. It's incredible. Verse, 20, verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. Something supernatural is happening here. Verse 27, when a jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for the lights rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out, and look at what he asked. Verse 30, sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> they said, verse 31, I'm telling you, Paul says it the exact same way we do. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your whole household can get saved. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds right after he and his whole family were baptized. It's not an illustration, it's scripture. His whole family was baptized. Verse 34, he brought them into his house, set a meal before them. Because so what's better to do after your whole family gets saved than have a meal? Set a meal before them and rejoice because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. We praise God when people get saved here, but can we praise God for the jailer getting saved? I mean, is that not incredible? Is that not incredible? That's an account. That's not a made-up story. This is an account. This is a jailer's testimony. And guess what? You have a testimony too. 
You have a testimony too. This is the jailer's testimony. And I'll tell you what, the jailer is very thankful that when Paul was in prison, Paul was praising because when the jailer saw Paul's praising, he realized, oh, they on something different. He's realizing most people in here don't have hope when they're in prison. Why do they have hope? And you can tell God was already working on his heart because when the earthquake happened, they came to him and they're like, he says, the jailer says, what must I do to have what you have? Tell me, what must I do to be saved? The whole reason he was about to kill himself is because at that time, if a jailer lost his inmates, if they got away, the jailer was sentenced to be killed. So this was it for him. So if Paul and Silas leave, this jailer would have either killed himself or been executed. Let me make a great statement to you. When Paul stays and says, don't, we're here, Paul is giving up his physical freedom for a chance to win the jailer's spiritual freedom. I wonder if we would do the same for somebody. Because as challenging as it is to me, I think a lot of us won't even give up our reputation or our popularity to win a soul. And Paul had a chance to run. He said, we're here, don't. And because of that, that jailer doesn't die and go to hell. Because of that, he dies and he goes to heaven. Whenever he does die, he doesn't die here. Whenever he dies, he goes to heaven to be with Jesus Christ, his whole family. So if I could give you one last thing, it's this. B, use your voice to the lost and hopeless. Use your voice for the lost and hopeless. How dare we ever, ever, not share Jesus with somebody because we think they're too lost. Who in the world are we to determine or assume that? If there is somebody in your life who you think, oh, they would never get saved and you have written them off, that is wrong. And I guarantee you, you're missing a chance to share Jesus with them because there is nobody too far gone to come to know Jesus Christ. The day you and I care about where someone spends eternity is the day we'll be willing to tell them the full gospel. That's the day we'll tell them the full gospel. When I was a lost 21-year-old college student at the University of Memphis, I hated Christianity, I hated the church. And you know what I wanted from believers this is my last thing, and we're going to close. Can I tell you what? Can I let you in the mind of a lost person? Do you know what I wanted from believers? Realness. When I was lost, all I wanted to see from believers was realness. I was so tired of seeing fakeness. So when I was at University of Memphis, if somebody had come up, which they never did, but if somebody had come up to me and told me I was a sinner and told me I needed Jesus Christ... I would not have been mad because at least I knew they cared about me enough to tell me. How much do you have to not care about somebody to not tell them you believe they're going? I would have walked away saying, hey, at least I know they believe it. Do you believe it? Is it real to you? If it is, college students, go out there and use your voice for the gospel.